0: God's Holy Word, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. and whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him lest your adversary deliver you to the judge the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison assuredly i say to you you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny let's pray father i just thank you uh, for your word, and I just pray that it would do its complete work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, please greet one another. If you had given me notice that it was going to happen, I would have told you before, but um, <laughs> at, at Calvary's, at least up here, uh, Calvary uh, chapels, uh, uh, the men and women are, are sent out from different churches uh, and someone like me uh, and Scott, we were uh, sent out uh, sort of as under-shepherds of, of Randy. Randy's been acting as the senior pastor of, of this church up until last week. And there's not a formal ordination process until the pastor uh, just becomes convinced in his ho- own heart that God is doing a work. And, uh, there's just a reluctance to sort of send someone out and then, you know, watch them crash and burn in the first six months. And, which is what happens, by the way, a lot. And so, uh, that's, uh, that's the way things are done. And so, as Randy said, he's just, he is just making formal, uh, what it, God has already been doing. And so, uh, uh, it was certainly, a, a blessing just, uh, with all of that last week. And uh, if you have any other questions about that, please feel free to let me know. So why don't you mothers all stand up right now. Mothers, stand up, please, and let's just give them a hand. All right. Okay, all right. okay you may be seated. You know, uh, my own mother is here today, and, of course, you don't really appreciate what mothers do for their kids until you have five of them yourself uh and uh uh it's just amazing as you're sort of going through uh you know when i first started doing diapers yes i am the modern man i do many diapers probably more than all of you guys combined in here but uh um uh you know, you really start to appreciate. You start, you know, having flashbacks to when you were six months old. You know, your mother doing your diaper, and and and, uh, uh, and uh, you really begin to appreciate uh, what your mothers uh, have done. And I was reading an article about Ted Williams, the uh, greatest hitter who ever lived. He is known as Ted Williams. His mother was in the Salvation Army, and uh, she was never home. She was always out telling people about Jesus and. Uh, and, uh, he basically, um, grew up on his own. His dad was a drunk and, uh, his mother in the Salvation Army. And, uh, he grew up, uh, became an atheist early on in his life. And, you know, I've always said to, just to myself, I, you know, I'd rather raise, you know, five children who wound up walking to the Lord than, than, Bring or 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 do evangelistic, evangelistic crusades, which which bring millions. To a profession of faith. I'd rather have that because that's what the Bible teaches. We're supposed to be faithful to what God puts right in front of in front of us and not step over it and do other things that, you know, we're going to get lots of pats on the back. And in the long run, more people are going to become really disciples of the Lord through that uh, than, than, you know, all, your, uh, all our other sort of um, ideas of things that we can do for God just raising uh, uh... our own uh... children and so uh... it is as scott said such a uh... important ministry and uh... uh... and it's you know although hallmark probably probably made up the day there's a conspiracy with in you know, all those mother's day cards uh... with hallmark is uh, in the government conspiring together to have these holidays, so lots of cards are sold, but, uh, still, it is, it's a good opportunity to honor, um, our mother. So, uh, in any event, we're going through Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, and, uh, We ended our last lesson a couple weeks ago uh, with this verse, verse 20, Jesus speaking, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And we learned when we were uh, going over that verse that everything that precedes it and everything that follows um, really needs to be viewed in the light of that one verse. Um, Jesus is is basically saying here uh, that uh, again, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, which by the way was perfect. I mean, when Paul was describing himself as um, as a Pharisee, he said, as a Pharisee, I, I lived a perfectly righteous life. Um, and, and so uh, what Jesus does is, is after this, this verse, he goes on uh, to uh, describe a standard uh, of righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. And it's a standard that is the most pure, the most high, the most... Unattainable standard of perfection of behavior that anyone has ever uh, described. Uh, and, but Jesus says that unless you get to this standard that I'm describing here, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And uh, He says uh, He gives uh, uh, these examples, Matthew 5:22. If you're angry, at uh, a brother or sister, you are guilty of murder. Matthew 5:28. If you looked look at another with lust, you are guilty guilty of. Adultery, just looking at them. In uh, Matthew 539, if an evil person uh, slaps you in one cheek, you, you have to give them another. Matthew 540, if someone sues you, you need to just give them what they're asking for. Matthew 541, if someone forces you to walk a mile, go with them too. Matthew 544, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So people listening to this, as we discussed a couple weeks ago, no doubt were thinking to themselves, what, does this guy want me to be perfect? To which Jesus says in Matthew 5:48, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So he is setting a standard of righteousness that is so high so complete, so unattainable. There are only two reactions. One is that you just, you know, you give up and, and you just walk away. That's one reaction. The other reaction is, is that you run to him that you run to him and you cry out to him, Jesus, only you are perfect, uh, only you are holy. I am a man, I am a woman of unclean lips. I live amongst the people who are uh, unclean. Uh, make me clean, make me whole, make me like you, Lord. And he will do just that. That's what, why Jesus says, sort of after he gets through this sermon, a little later on, he says, Come to me and I will give you rest. So Jesus said in Matthew 5:17, He said, "I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it." Now it's critical that we understand that not only does He fulfill the letter of law, He 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 fulfills the spirit of the law, which, which, which is what He's introducing uh, in this sermon. In other words, Matthew 5:22, whoever's angry at a brother or sister, they are guilty of murder. Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we forget about this without really thinking about the specifics. Jesus Christ never once in his life was angry without cause, you know, as a, because at another brother or sister, which really in, in the Greek here just means really anyone else is, is really what it's referring to. Matthew 5.28, whoever lusts at a woman is guilty of adultery. Never once did Jesus look at a woman, not even a wistful glance, with lust. Matthew 5.39, when an evil person uh, slapped Jesus on the cheek, not only did he offer the other cheek, he offered them his beard, his head, his back, his uh, hands, his feet, his side. Jesus fulfilled every bit of it how about Matthew 540 if someone sues you give them what you want well Jesus fulfilled that when the authorities brought a case against him he gave them what they wanted crucifixion, even though their case was based entirely on lies and false accusations. Matthew 5:41. whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. When Jesus was forced to carry the cross to Golgotha, he not only carried his own burden, he carried the burden of the sin of the world. Matthew 5:44, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. When Jesus was on the cross, it says in Matthew 27 that when, when they passed by him, they blasphemed him. They wagged their heads and they said, uh, he saved others, but he can't save himself. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross. He trusted in God, let God deliver him now. The Bible says that though he was reviled, he did not revile back. Rather, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus not only fulfilled the law, he fulfilled the spirit of the law, which he himself is really teaching us actually today in this uh, very scripture that we're, we're going over. Brothers and sisters, if you are exasperated when you read this most famous of Jesus' sermons about murder, adultery, and the need to have the purest heart before God, Jesus has fulfilled all of it for you. The Bible says that by the, the Holy Spirit, which the Bible says the Holy Spirit is is given to you who are born again as a deposit guaranteeing what to come, is what the Bible says. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He will, he will uh, give birth and manifest that same life in you. So anyway, verses 21 and 22 says, You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. Now remember, He's describing a righteousness that is, exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, more times than I can count over the last 16 or 17 years, I've I've asked... uh, people the following question. If you died and you stood before God and He asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And every once in a while someone says, well, I've never killed anyone. I've I've never killed anyone. And, you know, I wonder if they were really honest with themselves. I mean, if they were really, really, really honest with themselves whether they would still give that answer I wonder if someone asked them was it really because you were afraid of the consequences that you didn't kill was it because you didn't have the guts was it because you didn't have the courage I remember when I was in high school when I was still in school actually and um, I'd have a final exam and I was up you know 1 a.m. the night before or whatever and it was started dawning on me that I had underestimated the time I was supposed to study by about a hundred hours <laughs> <laughs> and I would start you know to just sweat you know cold sweat so like dripping on the page and and I just start to panic and this like cool goopy feeling coming over my body and you know these these thoughts used to come into my head and if, if, if the professor drops dead maybe maybe this exam will never come about and, and you know when you think of it what an ugly thought I mean a professor made in the image of God and here I am wishing their death I don't know if, if any of you ever had a um, a bully in your neighborhood If any of you were picked on by a bully, how many of you were picked on by a bully? How many of you were the bully? There there we have one here. I'm going to talk about people like you later, Amy. Um, When I was a small kid, there was a guy in my neighborhood. I'll call him Billy Snow, just in case the guy happens to be here and I don't recognize him. Billy Snow, he was about five years older than me. He was the quintessential bully. And, you know, I have very vivid memories of, um, you know, going down the street in my little bike, a little cute seven-year-old boy, and, and all of a sudden this guy, Billy Snow, would come up from behind me in his big old bike, you know, ah, ha, 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 no, I'm not kidding. And he would, he would like pick on me, try to push me off my bike, run me off the road. I mean, it was terrifying to a seven or eight-year-old boy. And, uh... And uh, you know this this monster bike would be casting the shadow over me, and 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 I just sort of shrivel up. And and you know if guy bullies weren't enough, um, I also had girl bullies in my life. I remember when I was nine, a, a neighbor who was a, a a girl about five years older than me. I remember she picked me up by my hair. Now, when you're a nine-year-old boy, let me tell you, getting beaten up by a boy bully is one thing, but getting beaten up by a girl bully, I mean, I'm telling you, it's just its just our carnal nature, okay, us guys, I mean, getting beaten up by a girl, it was the worst thing, and you know, you'd go home, and you're thinking of this bully, and you're just seething with hatred and fantasizing about, you know, being in a torture chamber, and you're the torturer, you know, and you're picking out their hair one by one, or their fingernails or something, and, and... and you know, and this is really this is murder in our heart. That's really uh, we, we sort of in our gene pool. Uh, you know, as we're growing up, these kind of uh, of thoughts, uh, you know, start developing. And you know, adults aren't much different. It gets a little bit more subtle, but you know, an adult, uh, there may be someone in your life, and you know, they they sort of treat you like their own. Personal bellboy, you know, ever met one of those people and they're, they just seem to be so much more beautiful than you and they have so many more friends and I don't know, they're married and you're not, they're having kids or, uh, and you're not or, or, or they, or, or it could be that they don't have kids and you do or, I mean, or you, they have a, a job and a much better one and they're getting promoted and they're riding around a nice car, they're in a nice house and of course they let you know how much uh... better they are every time they see you or, you know it could be someone who's just insulted you I mean really in the most penetrating way in front of others or uh... they spread just vicious rumors about you or took credit for something you did or ignored you or betrayed you or or stole a friendship from you that's one of the most the the most painful things is to have a friendship stolen from you, or someone who has broken promises, you've invested your life in that person because of the promises they made, and then they broke the promises, or you're fired from your job. I remember, uh, this can be one of the worst things. The first job I ever had, I was um, a dishwasher, I was 14 years old. I'd been there at this job at a restaurant, and I'd been at this job for about three months, and the manager decides to, I was in Florida at the time, he decides to take off to New Jersey with one of the waitresses, and he said he was going to be gone for one week. And he was gone for six. And by the time he came back, this restaurant was in shambles. I mean, it, it, it had been operating for six weeks without a manager. And so this guy comes back and he decides to clean house. What does he do? He fires the dishwasher. Me. I mean, that was going to, you know, clear up all, of, all his problems. And, uh, you know, did that just make me mad? Or uh, or, you know, you may have had a parent who has betrayed you or, or spent years belittling you or yelling at you or ignoring you, and, and a bitter root grows up in your heart. And, and it's a it's a despising, and, and you know, you've uh, fantasized about their undoing in your heart. and And you know, maybe it's not their death, maybe it is, but you know, in a hundred ways you've thought about their undoing. Jesus says, you're murdering them in your heart when Cain murdered Abel. The murder didn't begin when he began to plunge that dagger or whatever weapon he used, maybe it was his hands, uh, you know, into, into Abel. It began much earlier. Genesis 4 says that Abel offered to the Lord the firstborn of his flock, and it's fat, meaning it was the best that he had. Cain brought an offering, but it wasn't the best that he had. And Genesis 4-5 says the Lord was not pleased with it. And that it says at that point, um, Cain became angry. Genesis 4-5 says Cain was angry, and the Lord said to him, Why are you so angry? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. Then Cain went out and killed his brother. Now Cain's murder of Abel began as soon as those seeds of anger crept into his heart. The ultimate expression of anger, the ultimate desire of anger, uh, it's like a seed of murder is what anger is. That's that's the Bible speaking, not me. You know, road rage, you know, that's what, you know, you wake up in the morning and you know, you've never hurt anyone in your life. You've never even hurt a flea. But someone like, swerves in front of you on the highway and you know, after a while you, you know, you start you know, banging your, uh, you know, shaking your fist at them and you know, they're yelling back and pretty soon you know, you're taking out a gun and shooting at them and you know, and all of a sudden, you know, your neighbors are being quoted in the local news. Well, oh, He was such a nice guy. I never would have imagined. And, and you know, it's all that anger it, it 's all that anger uh, that's that 's all it is it's it 's what it is the bible says it 's a it 's a seed of murder and it 's not a sin to be made light of or rationalized you know I hear people yeah I'm angry, but you know that 's just the way i am that 's my personality that 's the way God made me you know and and but the Bible says that anger can become a snare for your Proverbs 22 uh, 24 says make no friendship with an angry man Lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul So Jesus says in Matthew 5 unless um, Matthew 5 um, 20 says unless your righteousness Exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven and to see what it the Pharisees had gotten content with their righteousness because they hadn't literally put anyone to death. Um, but, but just like the people, the men and women who have told me over the years that they're, they're going to heaven, they're heaven-bound because they've, they, they've never killed anyone, the Pharisees felt justified, but in their heart they had committed hundreds of murders. Jesus says in Matthew 15:19, talking to the Pharisees, He said, out of your hearts. Are evil thoughts and murders. Now Matthew 5:22 is uh, is broken up in, in, in three parts here. Matthew 5:22. First, Jesus g- gives really, you know, he, you know, he gives three examples of how you can actually murder someone in your thought life. He first says this: Whoever is angry uh, with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And so, what what would happen is some of these Pharisees would roam the street just barking out at people in anger because of some small transgression in the law. And Jesus said, you're murdering people. And then Matthew 5.22 says this, Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Now... Uh, uh, raka is, is basically like the equivalent of calling someone um, a jerk or an idiot or a wretch now remember when the, uh, Jesus told the story of the Pharisee who was at the altar and, and he was saying he was looking at the tax collector next to him and he, he, he's like oh God thank, thank you that I'm not like this wretch who's, who's uh, you know, sitting right next to me Jesus says he is committing murder in his heart Verse 22 goes on to say, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, um, when it says uh, fool, in the the Bible, the word fool was a word for someone who was morally bankrupt. Someone who uh, was a thief or promiscuous or a liar. Why? Because of where that sin would take them. In other words, believe it or not, there was a time when it was considered foolish to be morally bankrupt because of where that sin would take you. And in Jesus' day, to call someone a fool was to put, uh, to put yourself in the judgment seat of that person. So, if you remember an example of this is in John, Jesus healed a man born blind, remember that? And they, the Pharisees basically arrested this man and, and brought them to, this man to them, and um, they tried to get this guy to denounce Jesus, and the guy refused to denounce Jesus, and what did they say? They said, you were born in your sins, and they kicked him out of the temple. What they were saying is, you're a fool you're morally bankrupt, you were born in your sin, you're a fool. Jesus says they're committing murder in their hearts. So enough about the Pharisees, let's talk about you. Let's talk about me. Anytime you or I gossip, you are doing precisely what Jesus is calling murder. Gossip which is this? This is my working definition of gossip. Exposing for public consumption a flaw in someone's character. Exposing for public consumption a flaw in someone's character. Uh, you know, I know a woman who she'll come up to people and she'll say, Oh, guess what I heard about this person? It's not gossip because it's true. Well, that, that's just because something is true doesn't mean it's not gossip. I mean, if you find out someone has, you know, hepatitis C or, or HIV or, or someone was arrested or someone is having marriage problems, it's true. But does that mean you have the liberty to go out and tell everybody about it? No. And, and 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 so any time um, we're exposing uh, into the public arena a flaw about someone's character, uh, it's mm. gossip. And and Jesus said it's the equivalent of calling someone "you fool." You're you're taking what you're doing is you're you are you're basically making a condemnation of the person saying that there's something wrong with their character you're belittling belittling their character just as if you were calling them um a fool and 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 you know oftentimes you know people uh mass gossip gossip and prayer request you know you really got to pray for uh this kirk kirk you know he got arrested and you know oh really for what was he arrested for well you know he was jaywalking whatever uh and 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 so uh that can be gossip as well turn with me to proverbs 6:16 6, again we're talking really when jesus says you know, anyone who says "you fool" will be in danger of hellfire. What he means by "you fool" it's really any time that we are setting ourselves up as judge over a person and belittling their character, which we do uh, whenever we are gossiping. Proverbs six sixteen. Now, the interesting thing about this um, this proverb is that every single one of these uh, every single one of these sentences or phrases uh, applies to gossip verse 16 these six things the Lord hates yes seven are an abomination to him a proud look whenever you're gossiping what you're doing is you're putting someone down so yourself can you know you can put yourself up a lying tongue most gossip is rooted in lies Hands that shed innocent blood, which is what you're doing, you're, uh, you're defiling innocent blood when you, when you gossip. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. Most gossip is, you know, it's proactive. It's like, let me run out and tell, you know, people about this person. Verse 19, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren one thing gossip does it sows division among the brethren when you gossip you are undermining a person's reputation you're attacking their character you're calling them a fool you're doing precisely what Jesus is describing here in Matthew 5:22 whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire now before we go on to verse 23, I want to describe uh, or discuss two common misunderstandings of uh, verse 22 of Matthew chapter 5. Two misunderstandings. Many people will read this verse, which says, Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Many people read that and they do exactly what Jesus is instructing them not to do. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, they'll interpret this by the letter, by the letter rather than the spirit. In other words, they'll make a little law, a little code of rule uh, out of this, this verse here. And, 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 you know, okay, you know, as, so, as, as long as I don't call someone a fool, oh, you know, well, okay, I'll be safe. I'll be okay. And, and all it is is doing exactly what Jesus... The whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is, is, is look, you've got to get beyond the law to the heart. I remember counseling with someone uh, who had a friend who was going headlong into a particular area of sin. And I shook my head and I said, oh, What a fool. And the person was like, ooh. You know, it was all like I had the plague or something. And they said, you know, d- wait a second, didn't Jesus specifically outlaw that? No, he didn't. Jesus called his own disciples fools. He called the Pharisees fools. And, and he didn't, he wasn't setting up a law. The term is used throughout the Bible 40 times in Proverbs alone. Uh, Proverbs twenty nine twenty says, do you see the, the, a man that is hasty with his words? There's more hope for a fool than him. So if you think you are sort of let off, as long as you don't call someone a fool, you know, thank God I called that guy on the highway an idiot rather than a fool, you know. <laughs> You've got it all wrong. I mean, that's precisely what Jesus didn't want to do. He wasn't setting up a code. He was trying to pierce it. And so... um, you know it's not the act of calling someone a fool it is the heart behind it you know are you attacking someone's character are you gossiping about them are you exposing for public consumption a flaw in their character or are you simply making a right judgment um, about in a situation where you have a legitimate purpose for doing so which sometimes in ministry uh, there is a legitimate purpose for calling someone a fool it's rare But it does happen. When Abigail went to King David to try to appease him, she called her husband a fool, whose name happened to be Fool, but she called him a fool, you know, anyway. His name was Nabal. Uh, But in any any event, the Bible says what she said was, because of what she said, she was blessed. She was called blessed for what she said, calling her husband a fool. And so... um, don't turn the, the Sermon of, on the Mount into another written code. Uh, that's not what it is. Jesus is, is talking about uh, the heart. You know, man has this insatiable lust, this thirst for rules. If he can just have some rules, you know, he can, he can grab onto some rules and follow them. Well, then he will be justified before God. And and the Lord is saying, well, no, it's not about that. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. It's about your heart towards me. Now, the second common misunderstanding of Matthew 5.22 pertains to Jesus' statement, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause, without a cause, that's uh, what it says in um, Matthew 5.22. Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause, you know, it's the person who, who talks like this. Yeah, you know, I was on the highway, you know, and I had to get off uh, on an exit, and so I turned on my turn signal. And I was riding in my lane for two miles. The guy next to me wouldn't let me in. He kept on inching up any time I tried to get in. And, you know, I gave him a piece of my mind. Was I angry? Yes. But it was righteous anger. I had a cause, just like Jesus said. Or, you know, the person who uh, shows up at the bank at... Um, at, at five, uh, five minutes of five, and you know, Kirk is behind uh, the uh, the window and he slams the the window shut right in the right in the person's face, and the person's like, you know, they they shut that window five minutes before it was closed, and and so you know, I I tell you, I told them off, I gave them a piece of my mind. Yes, was I angry? Absolutely, but it was righteous anger. I had a cause. They shouldn't have been doing that. They were wrong. Or someone, you know, you're sleeping, sleeping in your apartment and at two in the morning, the people above you all of a sudden start blasting the music, uh, a full blast. And, 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 you know, yeah, they were playing their music full blast and the only thing louder... Uh, Louder than the music was me when I was yelling at him. It was just like Jesus when he was yelling at the Pharisees, you know, just cause. And and so, uh, th- you know, that is is what people's idea uh, is of a good cause or a cause where Jesus says here in Matthew five twenty two that um, you know whoever is angry with a brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Wrong, wrong. What did Pastor Randy say in his first few minutes of his last sermon? He said, when you come to the cross and you give your life to Christ, you are giving up all your rights. All your rights. All your rights to yourself. That means whenever someone insults you or offends you, that word offended should be out of your vocabulary. I've had to take it out of my... You offended me! No, no, Steve, the Lord says... You don't have any rights to be offended anymore. And um, remember what Jesus said in, you know, in Matthew. I think it was chapter 27. We had discussed it before. Um, when when people were were wagging their heads at him, and 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 they were saying he saved others, but he cannot save himself. You know, he 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 said he would destroy the temple in three days, and and then you know or destroy the temple and then rebuild it in three days. He was he was being insulted. Now, if anyone ever had the right to fire back, uh, it was Jesus. I mean, yeah, after I destroy this temple, I'm going to get you, you little worm, you know. Uh, did Jesus say anything remotely like that? No, the Bible says though he was reviled, he did not revile back. Jesus was never never became a- angry because of an insult or injury to him personally. So, you know, when Jesus says in in Matthew 5:22, "Whoever is angry without a cause," what what is a good cause? What is a cause? Well, you know, Jesus, as he was going through the temple, you know, with a with a whip in his hand, turning over money changers' tables. Why was that just anger? There's two things. One. Because of the people were ripping off the sheep. In other words, the the, the children of Israel, these people who were who were coming in uh, to worship God, and because they were defiling the temple. And so, and it was the same thing when he was angry with the Pharisees. It was it was it was because it, whenever he got angry, it was just anger because of what they were doing to God or to to his sheep. It was never what they were doing to him. So. What are the two misunderstandings of verse 22? It's taking the verse 2 literally and turning it into a written code and using it as justic- justification for our own fleshy anger with, um, with the rest of the verses here. It says, verse 23, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last Now, verse 23 begins with therefore. Therefore, meaning what was said before is connected with what is said after. The problem is, what on earth does taking my gift to an altar, reconciling with a brother, or settling with an adversary have anything to do with getting angry? the answer is this. Jesus is saying that when you insist on not reconciling with someone when you insist on holding back an apology when you in refuse to take that first step to bring peace to a relationship once again you're committing murder in your heart that's yeah it's jesus standard of righteousness it's the highest most impossible standard that anyone has ever described but it's the righteousness of christ he is saying don't come worshiping me Pretending nothing is wrong when there is. And so, um, uh, in the very last verse, it says, uh, rather, uh, verses 25 and 26, it says, agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. Now, listen carefully. What does this have to do with anger and calling someone a fool or raka? The judge is God. The judge is God. And God is saying, what about that argument? that you're in with that other person. What about that conflict? What, what, what about that enmity between you and your brother or you and your sister? What about that bitterness in your heart? You haven't dealt with it. You need to settle it. You need to settle it quick. Lest you step into eternity with unresolved bitterness. That's why he's saying agree with your adversary quickly and notice the urgency of it. He's saying, you know, if you bring your gift to the altar, just drop it there and 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 go. And 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 he's also saying um you know, agree with your adversary quickly. Uh Oswald Chambers has a great commentary on this verse. He says um of, of this verse uh verse 25, agree with your adversary quickly. Uh, this is what Oswald Chambers says. He says, "Do what you know you must do now and do it quickly." If you do not, the inevitable process will begin to work and you will have to pay to the last penny in pain and agony and distress. One of the most damaging things you can do is putting off an apology, putting off reconciliation because let me tell you, the more time goes by, the more, the the harder the heart gets, and I'm not talking about your heart, that gets hard too. But the heart of the person you're going to apologize to will get harder and harder, and if you wait long enough, you, you may find yourself getting that to them, and it's too late. They're they're beyond penetration. They're, they've lost any p- soft part in their heart for you and, and there's a wall there that you can't get behind that's why Jesus said agree with your adversary quickly if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember your, your brother has something against you leave your gift there there's such an urgency to that you know human beings are, are such delicate fragile creatures we, we try to act all strong and powerful, but, but inside, we're very fragile, delicate creatures. And so um, we need to understand that. If someone has an offense against us, we need to uh, go to them uh, quickly. So what um, Jesus is really saying here, again, he's describing a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes. And he, he wants to take every bit of anger out of your, out of your life, every single bit of it. And, and there are at least two reasons. One is because it's, anger is the seed of murder. But most of all, and everything always gets back to this, is that it gets in between he and you. It gets in between you and him. And that, is what, and that is what, you know, you see in verses 23 and 24. God is saying, I want to have fellowship. I want to have fellowship with you. I want to get close with you. But you're, there's disobedience in your heart. There's, and and you, need to, you need to go deal with it. Then come back uh, to me. Christianity is about relationship. God wants a perfect, pure, powerful heart in you worshiping Him. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, we just thank you that everything that you uh, you have told us through your Word, through your Son, through the Holy Spirit, it's it's done to draw us to you, Lord. It's done to to make us one with you. It's it, it's done to so there's no division between us and you, Lord. And Lord, I just pray for each person in here that. You just put a finger on and anything that doesn't please you, Lord. I also pray, Lord, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, God, that you just draw them. Draw them. Make it clear to them, Lord, how much you love them. And God, as we just go out this week, Lord, we just don't want to leave this word behind, God. Just plant it deep. Just plant these seeds deep in, uh, deep in our heart, Lord God, that they would become fruitful, Lord. And we would be that light of the world, the salt of the earth that you talk about, Lord. And God, we we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. If anyone needs prayer, please come up. God bless you.